Welcome to the Hanover Valley Podcast, a ministry of Hanover Valley Presbyterian Church. We are located at 133 Carlisle Street in downtown Hanover, Pennsylvania. Check out the rest of our website at hanovervalley.org. Thank you for listening. Turn to Daniel. We're going to look one more time at uh, this passage, this book about the life of a man held captive, uh, Daniel 6. As you're getting there, I'm going to organize myself a bit. <clears throat> We're going to read this entire chapter as it looks at this, at this, uh, uh, this sixth installment, this uh, sixth moment in the life of Daniel um, held captive in Babylon and the results of his encounters. Starting in verse 1. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom and with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this... The administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs. Of, of government affairs. But they were unable to do so. They could, not find, they could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, We will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, and advisors and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days, except you, O O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king... Issue the decree and put it in the writing so that, if, so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the, of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where, he, where his w- windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found David praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days anyone who prays to any god or man except to you, O king, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the laws of the the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to the king and said to him, Remember, O king, that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave orders, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, 
to rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the, ki- to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an, in, an, uh, in, an ex- in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the, living, uh, of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I have been found innocent in, the, in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. Before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language throughout the land, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will, be, will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. This is God's word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your faithfulness to your people, that you give us an account of your faithfulness, of the ways that you save, that you rescue, that you do signs and wonders both in the heavens and on the earth. I pray that it might lift us up and, and give, us, give us more reason to love and to honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I recently went to a physical therapist, um, uh, athletic trainer type person because to, to, I've been having a, a, some pain, some mild pain. I just wanted to see what was causing it. And he tells me I have a, uh, he tells me I have an anterior pelvic tilt. Uh, I didn't know that. It just, I mean, it seemed normal, but apparently, my, apparently there's something going on in my waist that's like back when it should be up or flat or I don't know. And so he sa- I said, so what do I have to do? I mean, wh- what do I do? He says, well, I'm going to give you some, some rehab exercises to do, and, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to shift things, and, y- you'll, and the pain will go away, and you'll have some strength in places that you... And I go, great, okay. He says, but what I want you to do is, you know... Um, and he, he says, before I left the office, he, he says, well, what I want you to do is, is sort of um, lay on your back and pull, you know, uh, pull your chest down in your stomach and then lift your pelvis. You know, I'm going, this is the weirdest feeling thing I've ever, he says, now I want you to sort of walk like that. What? And the exercises he, gives, he gave me to do, the little rehab things, are these most awkward 
things, you know, plant your feet on the ground and then lower your chest and then lift your pelvis and, you know, and kick your leg out to the side. And then he calls me mid-course mid, mid and he says, you know, how you doing? I go, it feels totally weird. It feels like nothing's, it, nothing, I, it feels like it's not doing anything and I'm not learning. He says, then you're doing it right. He says, it's going to feel awkward because you've, you, because you've trained your body. You've gotten used to the way things are, the way you've done it inaccurately. Your body has compensated. He says, he says, I could, he says when, you stood in my, when you stood in my office, I could see it the minute you were there. He says, you tend, when you stand, you hang. I just did it. You hang on your ligament. You hang on the joint. He says, you're not supposed to be hanging on ligaments and joints. They weren't built to do that. He says, but that feels comfortable, though, doesn't it? I go, yeah, it feels natural. Feels, he, sa he's, I, he says, uh, doing these rehab things and, and, and responding with these exercises, they, they, uh, they feel awkward, but they're actually the right way to do it. And when you learn to stand, you're going to stand on the muscle. You're going to stand on your hamstrings and your glutes and your back. And, your, and you're going to, you know, it's going to be, you're going to hurt in new ways and you're going to feel good in new ways. And over time, it's going to be complete. I go, okay, I'll trust. I'll take your word for it. He says, just keep, stay the course, keep doing the thing. And in fact, that has been the case. But it took a while to sort of retrain my body and my mind to think. He, and he says, some of this is neural pathways. I don't understand the neural pathways type thing. He says, rub the base of your skull and rub your cheeks. And Okay. To get used to the, to the prop, get back to the proper way of how the body operates. Great. Why do I tell you that story? Because here in Daniel 6, uh, the first thing I noticed about this passage, and might have been the first thing you noticed about the passage, if not... Um, the, the first thing I noticed as I was studying this passage is I was ashamed of myself. I was ashamed of myself. I was ashamed of myself because when I looked at the life of Daniel, here's a man, he's in his 80s probably at this point, he spent his whole life held captive in a foreign nation that was that was uh, cruel and uh, and, offend, and 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 aggressive against his faith and his commitment to his God over and over and over again. And he prays three times a day. Prays three times a day. And then when the king. Uh, when the king issues a decree, you can't pray to anybody but me for 30 days. He keeps praying. He keeps praying. Under the threat of death, under the threat that if you get caught doing this, you will die. You will, I will, I will, you know, uh, and, and under the conspiracy, under this great conspiracy of men out to get him, under this threat, Daniel continues to pray three days, three times a day. And when I read that, I was ashamed of myself. I was ashamed that it does not take me, it does not take the threat of death to make me not pray. It doesn't take me the threat of death to not go to church. 
It doesn't take me the threat of death not to love my neighbor. It doesn't take me the threat of, uh, of death to love my, to, heck with my neighbor, my wife. I guess she is my neighbor. It doesn't, and I was ashamed of myself reading this. I'm, I'm a, I, was, I was guilty. I felt, I felt very guilty and shameful. I, it doesn't take and I mean, when I'm on vacation, I, har- I don't go to church sometimes because I say to myself, I'm on vacation. I don't love my neighbor effectively because I don't walk across, I, can- I don't want to be inconvenienced to walk across the street. I don't want to give my money to the causes that God calls me to because I'm, because I'm afraid of the loss to my own comforts and my own abilities. And I look at Daniel, and Daniel, all he had to do was take 30 days off. It's just a month. It's just a few, it's just four Sundays. And, it's, and he would, and there'd be, but he didn't. He kept praying. There's a couple of things about that that I, want to, that I want to touch on. But the first thing I told you that I, was, that I was struck by is that I was ashamed. And that shame stirs me up. It, 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 that guilt that I felt, that I, that I felt when I was reading this, when I was confronted with this, that, that shame and that guilt, it, it stirs up in me. It, make, it motivates me. It motivates me to want to do better, to be better, to be a better man, to be a better follower of, of, of God, to be more faithful to what, to what I'm supposed to be doing. And therein lies the anterior pelvic tilt. The reason I say that that's, that, that shame and that, that guilt feeling that motivates, that's an anterior pelvic tilt. That's a, that's a deformity to the way we're supposed to be motivated in our lives. We're not supposed to be driven by guilt and shame. Was Daniel praying? I mean, even in the life of Daniel, was he praying out of guilt and shame? Was he motivated out of a sense of obligation? You don't pray under the threat of death, especially when you take 30 days off. It's just to take a month off. Take a month off. You don't, the reason he didn't take a month off is because he was, if you're obligated to do something and, you, and you're given a month off, what do you do? You take a month off if you're obligated. If you're demanded, if you're, if you're guilted, if you're shamed into something, you don't keep doing it. The only thing that powers you past that, the only thing. When I was young, I was in college, um, I had a full-time, I had, I had 17 credits in college, I had two jobs, I worked at my church as a youth director, and I was in love with Becky. And there were countless days that I worked my two jobs, I came and went from class, did my homework, 
went to youth group and or church in order to fulfill those responsibilities and then still had the energy to go on a date. Why? Because I was in love. Daniel prayed because he was in love. Daniel prayed because he was in, he was in love and being loved. He was, he was, he treasured, he treasured the God who treasured him. His motivational system was properly leveled. His motivational system, he was, was he did these things. He devoted his life. He, com- he remained committed. He, uh, he made choices. He loved his neighbor. He, he, he loved his God. He, he was devoted in that process because he was in love with the one who lo- was in love with him. But you and I often don't make choices for Christ, for our world, unless enough guilt and shame are levied against our hearts and minds. We've been trained through inactivity. We've been trained through poor religion. We've been trained through our own innate sinfulness to be motivated, to be empowered, to do out of guilt and shame. When that's not the motivation of the gospel. Paul prayed in Paul prayed in in Ephesians. He says, I pray for you all that together with all the saints, you might discover the heights, the widths, the lengths, the depths of what? The shame of how you're not conforming to the word of God, how you're not living up to your potential. No. Paul said, I wish... And pray for all the church for that you together with all the saints might discover the heights, the widths, the depths, the lengths of the love of God for you. Therein lies the powerful motivator. Therein lies the driving force of our lives. Love, grace, forgiveness. If it's not motivating, it's not because it's not powerful. It's because we're resistant. He wants to, he, he, he wants us, that is he, God himself, wants us to find, to find the passionate love for him that he passionately gives to us in his grace. Daniel's life. Daniel has spent has spent 80 years in most of which he spent in Babylon in captivity. And we see six moments in his life, six moments over 80 years. He's coming to the end of his life as we see it in this in this context in in, uh, in Daniel 6 and you go and and you think there, there's a sense where you look at his his life, and you go, he spent 80 years, we have six moments, what has he accomplished? He wasn't set free. He served under, he served under some, we're not quite sure how many different kings, but you know, five or six, presumably, 
uh, ups and downs, ins and outs of that experience. And the, why is he still praying? Why is he still going? Why is, wh- of what value is this? What, we're d- what, we're, what you're seeing him do is the very command that Jeremiah gave, uh, gave the people of God in captivity. Jeremiah 29, he says, I want you to settle down because you're going to be here for a while. Plant gardens, build houses, develop your careers, give your children in marriage. This is not a temporary, this is not a temporary captivity. This is not something that's going to take just a short period of time. This is going to, this is going to take, and Daniel's proof, this, this captivity, this, this time in this foreign land is going to take generations. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead you over there and lead you into this foreign land to live generations. Why? In order that your involvement there might have cultural life impactful change. That you will be used. I'm going to use you to bring about the peace and the prosperity of this city because that's what Jeremiah said. Plant gardens, settle down, give your children in marriage, Live your lives and pray for the peace and prosperity of the city to which God has held you, has taken you captive. For when the city prospers, so also will you. And we see that lived out in the life of Daniel for 80 years. Three times a day, praying for the peace and prosperity of the city, praying, praying to God for help. We see six moments in his life where, he, where the power of the moment to bring about change Daniel believed in the power of the moment. Daniel believed in the power of prayer for the peace and prosperity of the city. Daniel lived that slow, arduous, consistent process. He lived it out, and we see the six moments of his success. We see how he has accomplished over the lifetime of many kings. And, you know, an old king, Nebuchadnezzar, we see the most stories about him. And he, over time, he, you know, his heart, the stone-cold heart of Nebuchadnezzar breaks, melts, and is rebuilt in, in the image of Christ. And then the next king fails, and the next king succeeds. And we see him in these different moments having powerful, impactful influence to change culture. Not motivated to do that out of guilt, not motivated out of the false system of shame and guilt, but motivated, empowered by the grace of God in his life, empowered by the love that God had for him, showing him again and again and again, I'm, I'm here to rescue you, Daniel. I've, not, I, I've, I've taken you here to, to use you, not to punish you. And Daniel saw that love. He saw those rescues. He, he experienced that grace, and it melted him into a loving son of his father to the point where he could not wait to get to prayer. Opened his windows facing what used to be Jerusalem. And praying day by day. What were, the, what were the things that he used? What were the things? How, how do we see him? What, what were the tools that God gave him? What were the tools that God gave him 
to bring about the transformation of the world around him. Because are we just doing kind things and, and obeying God and making good choices and praying? Are these, are these things that God just gives us to do just to do for the sake that he just likes to see people pray? No, it's, he gives us things. He gives us tools in order to transform not just our own lives, but to transform the world, to transform the culture in which we exist. God is interested in reclaiming, restoring renewing that which has been broken, which is our world. And he, he does that heart by heart. He does that life by life. And when he takes hold of a life, they are reclaimed into, they are reclaimed into a life, into a family that is, a, is about the work of reclamation, of, of renovation, of resurrection of the world around them. It's, Like the game of tag that we used to that we used to play when I was a kid, you play it with large groups. Is that when you get tagged, then you become a tagger. Until finally, everyone is out to get one person. The gospel infects heart by heart. It it becomes this massive, healthy contagion that as each life is touched by it, it becomes then the healthy cell which touches the life of an unhealthy cell and draws it into health, into, into resurrection again. That's what we see in the life of Daniel. What were the tools? He, he, prayer. 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 Daniel prayed for the... He's a constant work. Every instant we see him praying. In some, in some capacity. He's praying. He's asking God for help. He's realizing, and prayer is, ba prayer is basically an admission of I can't do it. Isn't it? <laughs> prayer is often, it, well, and, here, and here's maybe, here's maybe the, another sort of reflection of the brokenness of our lives. It's, prayer is often the last resort, right? I did everything I possibly could. I worked. I talked to people. I tried to arrange it. I, you know... I, I was anxious and you know, depressed about it. Then I prayed. <laughs> when, when nothing else works, then we pray. Prayer is the place where we go when we finally come to the conclusion, I can't do it. Daniel skipped all that and went right to the end. I can't do it. He knew he couldn't do it from the very beginning. That we're constantly that we're constantly unable to do what God's called us to do, that he wants us in that condition. He, he loves us in that condition because in that condition, when we're, when we're weak and powerless, when we're unable, his grace, his power, his work shines. What he does is more valuable, is more highlighted in that process. Prayer. Daniel loved and he served. Loved and he served. Daniel's mind, Daniel's heart, because he was loved and served by the God of his, of his salvation. He was loved and, loved and cared for. That love that God was giving him, that care from the very beginning, saved from death, saved from destruction. He was one of the, he was one of the young 
bright minds that Nebuchadnezzar plucked from the fire from the very beginning and didn't destroy, didn't kill, didn't annihilate when he sacked Jerusalem. He pulled him and placed him in his, in the education system of his advisors. Daniel from that very moment knew that God was, was caring for him and loving him and serving him and using him. And that led him to love and serve those around him from the very beginning. I'll, king, the king's angry. The king is on the warpath. The king is out to get me. And his mind wasn't, his mind, his heart didn't turn to, that, that horrible king, I hate that guy. What a jerk. How could, he, how could he oppress me? What a cruel man he is. I pray God kills him. He didn't, when he saw the king coming at him, it's like, the, it's like the first responders during, during 9-11 on all those news channels. Everyone's running from destruction except those running to save. They're running towards it. The king is out to get everybody on his, in his path. And everybody's running from the king's wrath, running away in fear, running away in anger, running away in, in rejection. But Daniel sees the king, sees him, and, and sees his hatred, sees his cruelty, sees his fear-mongering, and says, something must be troubling the king. Let me help the king. Let me be gracious to the king. Because Daniel knew that was the condition of his own heart. Daniel had experienced that from his own God, from, it, from, the, from, his, from the Savior of his own life. I was out, to, I was out hating God, destroying God in my, in, my, in my sin and rebellion. And the Lord comes to me in His grace and, and sees me in my need and rescues me from my darkness. That motivated Daniel out of love, the love that he was being, through which he was being loved by God himself, motivated him to love Nebuchadnezzar and to see him through the lens of that love, of the power of that transformation. Daniel believed because he could change and be changed by the love of God, Nebuchadnezzar could be changed. Nebuchadnezzar could see renovation. What do we believe? Do we believe that? Do you believe that your heart is more wicked than America? Do you believe that your heart is more in need of change than the, than the people that we condescend in our attitudes towards? Do you believe it's do you believe that that the power of God to change you that because of that power of God to change you to melt you to mold you to love you in your hatred and fear-mongering that that same power can change the fear-mongering of our world around us the hatred that exists and does that belief generate passion for you to love those and because that's the, that's the proper tilt on the soul. To be motivated because God loves me, to be, to be empowered, to be impassioned, to be, to, it, 
that my passion for him and my compassion for the world is motivated not out of guilt, demand, or fear, but motivated out of God's love for me, God's grace for me. He woos me into his service. He woos me and you. He woos us. He he loves us so much. He he showers his grace upon us so entirely. He, he, He gave his life for us. So as to remind us of that great love, that it would empower us to live in a world to love and to serve. Daniel spoke truth gracefully. Told the kings the bad news, but with a but with a tear in his in his eye. Told told the kings that whenever the message of God came to Nebuchadnezzar or to or to or to King Darius or to or the Belshazzar writing on the wall. What's it mean? Well, it's not good news, King. But he was weeping while telling it. King, I wish this wasn't true for you. I wish this message was for your enemies. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want it to be true for you. His, he wept to tell the truth. Graciously. Graciously telling bad news to the prince. Bad news being that unless we surrender our heart, unless we walk the road of humility, unless we go down the, the unless we go down the low road, there's no there's no hope. And Daniel was able to help walk him down that low road because Daniel walked the low road every day. Daniel was about the low road. Daniel was about realizing I'm powerless. I'm nothing. As a matter of fact, anything I contribute to the, to the world, it's it's usually betrayal or sin or, or, or something not in conformity with God's word. But because of what he does in me, because of what God provides in me, I can be found innocent by God. He rescues me. I'm innocent because of what he does for me, not because I'm innocent. The other thing that Daniel, the other th- he prayed and he loved and he served and he spoke truth gracefully. But Daniel, Daniel, the other tool that God used in his life was Daniel was constantly being put at risk and constantly being rescued. All the stuff, all of these moments that we see in the life of Daniel and his friends was God putting him at risk, saving him from it. Putting him at risk, saving him from it. <laughs> in peril of death, saving him from it in miraculous ways. And that's how God, God works as his people pray and as people are compassionately loving to those in the world, speaking truth in a gracious way about the grace of God that's been given to me, and that he uses our lives as many sermons of the cross. When you look at Daniel, when you, when you read this story, here's a man who, by all, by all impressions of the people around him, was blameless. By, all the, by, 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 any, by any estimation of the people in his life, this man was perfect. And that perfection, constantly pointing 
constantly pointing to his strength from above, his strength from his father, constantly pointing li- the, 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 the secret to life was away from himself, not in himself, constantly perfection saying, I'm not, I'm not the one, but my father's the one, constantly pointing away, threatened people around him until a conspiracy develops. I love how many times the book says, and they went to the king as a group, Mobs, mob mentality. Somebody gets it in there, and then he gathers a bunch of them, and then they go, because mobs are louder than individuals. A conspiracy develops because they didn't like how holy, how gracious Daniel was. And so they tell the king, hey, we'll pray to you for a month. What do you think about that? It's a good idea, right? We'll tell everybody, pray to the king. You're a good guy. Live forever. Set up, and they set up a kangaroo court system to find Daniel guilty of something he wasn't guilty of. And the king makes the decree, and then Daniel gets caught, gets caught praying, and while he's praying, gets arrested. And they take him to the king after catching him praying. And the king says, I don't want to kill him. So they seal him in a tomb with a stone over it and put the king's seal on it. Early the next morning, he runs off anxious to the tomb to see what he can find. And he finds someone you expected to see dead actually living and he rolls the stone away does that story sound familiar to you yeah yeah wasn't it that story hadn't he that story (laughs) hold on a minute we got that much more to go before we get to that story The story of a man perfect. Brought to death by a conspiracy. And when they ran to the tomb days later, expecting to find death, they find life. God's been writing that story from the very beginning. That's the only story that saves. That's the only story that transforms the world. The story of resurrection. The story of life found in a tomb of death. And he continues to tell that story in the lives of his people. That you and I, our hearts, that the hearts of God's people are saved by that story, are transformed by that story on the cross. That's why it's the center of who we are. This is the story. This is the emblem reflective of the story. A cross, you wear it around your neck, you put it in gold, but it's still an implement of death. But it's life now, isn't it? It's life. That's the story. And that's the most powerful way that God changes the world, changes your neighborhood, changes your family, changes the community in which you live, is by constantly putting his people in peril and saving them. So that 
Victory comes out of defeat. Life comes out of death. Light comes out of darkness. That story of resurrection is what he calls his people to do. And as that story of resurrection resonates and rebounds in my human heart, that, that love of God, adapting the warp and woof of who I am, captivating me again and again, it empowers me to live out of love, out of devotion, out of delight, rather than out of demand. Even though that process feels awkward, even though that tilting the soul properly rather than the anterior soul tilt of needing to be guilted into doing the right thing, needing to be demanded into performing that which I'm called to as a, as a, as a follower of Christ, tilting the soul back to its proper level and being captivated out of his love, falling back in love with the one who loves me so that I can't wait to love and serve and pray and worship and tell truth in a gracious way and let my life be lived in peril and rescue, peril and rescue, peril and rescue for the delight and restoration of God in this world. Let's pray. Father, you are delighted in us, yet we are not delightful. Our lives are askew, full of betrayal and retribution. We are mostly what destroys your world, and yet because of your grace, you change us so that you might use us to change the world. Tilt our souls back to you. Let us find our deepest abiding power in the love that you give us that it might woo us to do the right thing, to pray, to serve, to care, to worship. Do this for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.